Welcome to Faith and Fable, pastoral podcast that discusses common and often controversial topics from a biblical perspective. My name is Matt Miller. I can tell you're feeling better. That was perky. Uh, well, I try. Uh, high takes, energy. It takes work. And I'm Matt Henry, by the way. Anyhow, we're, we're back. That you are. We're both feeling well. Yeah. So, but, what but, are we talking about? <laughs> <laughs> Although I walked into the building today and you're like, you look disheveled. Well, that was because your your hair was... Or what's the word you use? Unsheened? No, I can't, uh, I can't, I can't think of... Well, you said normally you're something. Yeah, you're well quaffed. Quaffed, that's it. And I said, no, I didn't put any product in today. <laughs> Do you have hair enough to product? Mm. Well, I... I, I, I while I still have it, you, you try to try to work with what you got. See, I just shave it off and embrace my baldness. Wow, this is why people listen right here. These are just nuggets of gold. <coughs> yeah. So anyway, we're uh, <laughs> talking about death. <laughs> See, I really want to go into a riff on. What your church's name isn't divine yes divine church divine not the vine divine church where the oil of anointing flows continuously downward into the pool of anointing (laughs) (laughs) i mean you can do that well like i said we should put music behind that and then we just and people can play it as they... What's that called? Freeform thinking or free thinking or where you just, whatever comes to your mind, you just ramble away? I think that's what it's called. It's a postmodern thing, I believe. Anywho. Sounds about right. We're not going to do it. We're going to talk about death. Uh, that we are. Um, we feel too well. Yeah. We, we, we just finished pizza for dinner. You just got a nice check. For your church, I got coffee. We both have cigars. Yeah, I have. I have a um, a check in my pocket that has the most money. That's not true. When I had to buy my house, that was a bigger one. Yeah, yeah. Anywho, nobody cares. We're trying to avoid the topic <laughs> of death, but we're going to do it. Yeah. Okay. So we are still in system. <laughs> We're in Systematic Theology 3, and of course, uh, Eschatology. Um, And uh, as we've been mentioning, there are two broad categories on Eschatology. The first is Individual Eschatology. The second is Cosmic Eschatology. Uh, Last time we started Individual Eschatology, and uh, as we have been mentioning, are currently working through this uplifting topic of death. Uh, we mentioned but it's actually a good one because it's not like we're going to be avoiding it, right? Right. Well, it's biblical. Yeah. Um, so we we mentioned last time that uh, Bible talks about death primarily in three ways: uh, physical death, spiritual death, 
and eternal death. Uh, so last time we began to talk about the nature of that first one, uh, physical death, and tried to give you a scriptural perspective on what physical death is. And our conclusion was that the Bible describes physical death essentially as the separation of the material from the immaterial. Um, remember to be human is to be both physical and spiritual. Um, so death is the separation of these two uh, properties. Uh, in fact, the word separation is the key descriptor of death, uh, whether you're talking physical, spiritual, or eternal death. And we're going to seek to try and develop that. Uh, but today, um, we're going to continue on this topic of physical death from a physiological or medical perspective. So up until the advent of advanced medical sciences in the West, uh, the separation of the material from the immaterial is what played a traditional role in understanding death. Uh, but in the West, there has developed now a second definition, um, which has come to have a focus upon the flow of vital liquids. Um, it became, <laughs> uh, became purely uh, physiological, though. That's the point. Um, specifically, it focused on the breath and the blood. Um, so according to this view, death is marked by an irreversible cessation of heart and lung activity. Um, this is why people, you know, they'll, they'll check for sound of breathing or they'll feel for a pulse. Uh, so when there was no sound of breathing or pulse, the person was declared dead. Um, however, in light of modern medical technologies, this has been deemed unhelpful and inadequate in certain cases. And as modern medical technologies have developed, so now has the definition of death. So two other definitions have developed. Um, I know you came for theology, but this is what you're getting. Um, first one is what's known as whole brain death, um, which is the irreversible cessation of all functions of the entire brain, which includes the brain stem. Which means we just say they're brain dead. There's nothing going on up there, right? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Whole brain death, brain dead. Yeah. Um, well, the dep reason... Depends on what you you're mean by that, though. So um, it could be this other one too, huh? Yeah. Uh, then, the, but sec yeah, there's also one called higher brain death, or it'll be referred to as neocortical death, uh, and this is defined as the loss of capacity for consciousness or social interchange. So, a person with uh, higher brain death, which is this one I just mentioned, uh, they can be hooked up to various machines, heart machine, lung machine, um, to keep fluids moving and maintain the presence of brain activity, but they have no consciousness. Uh, so in this case, they've not experienced a whole brain death, but they've experienced that higher brain death. Um, so those who hold to a definition of whole brain death, they might say that this person is still alive, but those who uh, hold to higher brain death would view this person as dead because there's no consciousness. So even if the person were not dependent on machines, and this is where it gets tricky, um, but they're just in that vegetative state or a coma with no consciousness or social interchange, uh, higher brain death still says that that person is dead. Um, so this then leads to the conclusion that, that, that while there may be no biological life, uh, or while there is biological life, there's no biographical life or just awareness. Um, that, of course, plays into the, the morality of things like euthanasia, Physician-assisted yeah. suicide. <clears throat> well, also, I can't remember her name, the, the woman in Florida, though. Uh, um, I want to say mm, Neil Shemvey, but no, that's no, no. the apologist. It, uh, it's, it's, I think it was like Maria. Um, 
Yeah. Oh. It was a very famous case. Yes. And because she was actually even communicating. Yeah. And showing responses, but they said she's in a vegetative state. I mean, they, 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 they murdered her, I think. Um, and yeah, but that's where all of this. Oh, I, Terry Shavo. Terry Shavo. Yeah, that was it. Uh, I, I think that as we're talking about this, we are outside the realm of scripture and, and understand that the wickedness of man, the, the sin, you know, there's all sorts of reasons for us to want to rework the definition of life. It's the same thing with um, abortion, right? People say, well, they couldn't live outside the womb. So it's not truly a life yet, and you and it's just playing with yes. with these things. But but they are issues, and uh, and I'll I'll let you continue on here in a, just a second. I'm just thinking how many times as a pastor I've sat down and there are hard hard top, uh, mm -hmm. hard conversations. You got a person. Uh, were you there with? I think you were with Fran, mm -hmm. and she just wanted to know what to do with her husband. Yep. Or no, no, it was with her husband, what to do with her. And and just, I don't know. Yeah, I'm trying to remember yes, yeah, who that, went that first. Was the, I think that was, that right was it. Yeah. And he loved his wife, and she was, yeah. you know, do I disconnect her or not? Mm -hmm. um, it, you know, the, it's not clean, and that's just where these things come into play, and you have to talk about it. And so everybody, unless you're taken violently or suddenly, there's very good chance that you're going to be in a situation where um, you have to look at somebody you care for and and make a decision. Do yeah. we unplug the machines and just let quote unquote nature yeah. take its course? Do we say no? We're going to fight. Um, and how long will you fight? And for what? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's a complex subject. Yeah, the conversations of what is pro life. We always think about it on the beginning side of life, but what does pro life mean on the end side of life? Um, and it it can get very complex and muddy, and so these kinds of conversations matter. Um, but that is a discussion for what's called ethics. Yes. Um, which, at some point, uh, we might develop, because um, again, it can become very gray very quickly, um, especially because there's advances always happening um, in terms of technology, medicine, yep. so on and so forth. Um, but if social, if consciousness and social interchange, um, higher brain death, in other words, is the determiner of death, the question is, what do you do with a person in a, for, for example, catatonic state? Or, I would ask, with a person who's merely sleeping? Um, again, discussion for a different time, but... Well, and again, you also, but I, I've been around, uh, Grace Community Church had a very large uh, special ministries. And that was both mental and physical. But you would see some people who they're essentially being wheeled around. Their body is in absolute rebellion. It's just this twisted shape. You know, you you have to ache for them. It's like, and and there's a mind in there, but no ability to communicate. Are they dead? Mm -hmm. I mean, okay, their eyes are open. So I guess maybe you can say, yeah, but they're conscious. But you know, it, it it's hard. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is. You're up. Oh, really? Oh, I am. So <laughs> I, I was apparently looking at the wrong place. Okay, so the ways we die. <laughs> um, 
this may sound strange, but actually it's relatively limited how we can die. Uh, it, this is going to come from a guy named Sherwin Newland's book, How We Die. He's a clinical professor of surgery at Yale School of Medicine. It's actually a helpful book, has a chapter devoted to each of the following, heart disease, cancer, stroke, respiratory, respiratory failure, Alzheimer's, uh, hemorrhage, murder, death by accident, suicide, and AIDS. Um, and old age. So old age, that's the catch-all and recognized as the official category of death for government certificates. Typically, the category used when a person dies peacefully in their sleep, uh, a system is uh, shut down, leading to further system failures, and there's no true determiner of cause other than to simply associate, associate it with Aging processes. We we uh, just called it died of natural causes. Yeah. Uh, when I was a police officer, you would they would do an autopsy if we had to go look at somebody. You always got called out on dead body, and you have to go make certain there's no obvious foul play, like a knife stuck in the chest. Um, so one thing a cop does a lot of is looking at dead people a lot more than you think you're going to, and. Um, if, if the person was like had cancer, um, then there was going to be no autopsy. If, as long as a physician would sign off on the death certificate that, yeah, he, he was dying. Um, but if they don't, they want to do the autopsy, find out what, what it is that killed him because they want to make certain murder and things like that is not there. But, yeah, um, frequently it was just they're old yeah. and they died. Um, these are often not. Isolated. They're typically accompanied by other factors, uh, pneumonia, infection, kidney, liver failure, septicemia. In other words, what we're all getting good at talking about uh, with COVID is comorbidity. Right, right. Um, you, you die and you had COVID, but you also happen to have a heart that was failing and stage four cancer. Um, those are called comorbidities. Yeah. Anyhow. But it, it is somewhat fascinating, I guess, if that's the right word to use. That's literally it. Yeah. That's all there is. I mean, so you can look at those and you can say, I am going to die of one of these right here. And technically, if we were a more biblically based society, I'd add one more and that would be execution. <laughs> I, just saying. Yeah. Uh, it's not there. You're right. Only murder or suicide. Or accident. And it's like, yeah, there's a time and a place to intentionally kill. But that's just me. Your turn. Yeah. um, (laughs) But no, what you said is interesting. Um, Wouldn't that be a secondary cause? I'm, I'm... yeah, but how, how do you categorize uh, death by accident? That's a secondary cause. It is. So it's death by execution. Yeah. I mean, you, you stick a noose around them, which I actually think is one of the best ways to execute. Um, so does that lead to a stroke? No, it leads to a broken neck and the cessation of all activity, <laughs> <laughs> if you do it right. Um, just as, as an aside, I, I, I mentioned this um, and I think uh, this would be the place to talk about. Of course, I'm going to be useless here because I can't remember the title of the book. About 20 years ago, 25 years ago, I read a book on death, and it was written by a genetic scientist 
in biotechnology and whatnot, uber smart. Mm -hmm. But the guy was a Christian, too, and he was working on the Human Genome Project. Nowadays, that doesn't mean much because we've actually successfully fully mapped out the human genome. But back then, they were just beginning. And he was talking about, you know, uh, the nature of death and talked about how in many people's mind, it's rather simple. He says, but philosophically, when you get down to the cellular and molecular level, he's like, it's not so clean. He's like, when does life cease? And he was just talking about, I mean, when a person dies and they're actually declared dead and they've been dead for three days, he's like, that body is still alive. There's all kinds of things happening. He started describing uh, the cellular breakdown and how many cells are still alive and they're still doing their thing. And and then they start to break down. And um, it was extremely well, that, fascinating. I, I thought that's why what last time or last episode on this, I, I always find it just fascinating. Like when a person dies, like all this stuff is still there. Yep. Right? But that animating essence is gone. Did did I mention that of if you ever watch a person die, um, it's like you, there's a point where you're like, yeah, he's gone. I mean, it's just the eyes are lifeless. It's yeah. weird. Um, I mean, I, I remember over a guy who had been in a terrible accident was dying. And, and you're over him, and you're looking at him, and he's looking at me. I remember him looking at me, and there's nothing we could do. And he's just looking and looking, and then you could just see. It's like, mm-hmm. and he's gone. Yeah, just soul leaves um, the body. Yeah, and it, very, it was actually very disconcerting the first time. I'm like, I'm not comfortable with this because um, you really got that sense of permanency yeah. um, and helplessness. Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's yeah, you're not he's slipping away, and I got no <laughs> yeah. no say in this. Yeah. Anywho, so that 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 would be sort of death from a physiological perspective, I suppose. Um, so then we come to the the art of dying now from a more, from a biblical perspective. It's kind of interesting, but in the mid- medieval period of the church, um, if you don't know what that means, just European society, uh, they developed a concept known as ars moriendi, which is uh, the art of dying. Um, so, if you know in, in your history, uh, that was a time in which European society was facing death in massive, rapid numbers from the bubonic plague, um, or the Black Death, um, but also starvation from severe crop failure and a few other things. Um, yeah, it was hard to stay alive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so, so large-scaled, and I'll put in quotes, premature death was essentially ubiquitous and utterly dominated the times. Um, truly was a time of everyday survival. Uh, so if you know anything about the history of art, you know that you can trace the dominant issues of any time or its culture through its its own art. Which means we're screwed. <laughs> because it's <laughs> red paintings with a yellow blob on it. Art. <laughs> I'm going to just tell them the story. Um, you preached a sermon one time. Yes, I did. And in which you made some kind of comment like that. Very uh, strong about how we, we've lost sight of what beauty is and everything else. Well, uh, the point is, beauty is actually objective from yes. a biblical perspective. Yes, it's not subjective. It's not in the eye of the beholder. There yeah. is a thing objectively that's called beautiful. So yeah. you, off the cuff, said, you know, so... Like throwing down some red paint on a 
piece of paper and then shoving a yellow blob on it and saying art is not art. So then I, uh, (laughs) (laughs) being the mature, wise young man that you were, uh, painted a painting in which it was primarily red with a yellow blob on it. And I, but it was swirled. I actually looked up techniques, so it would <laughs> so it would look cool, and I still think it does. I do too, actually. <laughs> um, and I stuck it in front of your office door. Yeah. So let me interject. <laughs> so I come wandering in a day or two later to go to work, and leaning against my door is this painting, and I'm like, okay, and it has no note, nothing. But I'll get random things like that where people just really think pastor would appreciate it. So I don't dare throw it away because, you know, all I know, this was done by an 80-year-old lady who just is showing her undying affection for her pastor or something like that. So I, yeah, it's still hanging in my office to this day. (laughs) But But I I don't know who it is, and I'm not, I don't want to ask about it because I really didn't like it. (laughs) But at the same time, I'm stuck with it. (laughs) And so I had to hang it inside my office just in case whoever did this thing, if they came to see a pastor kept the painting, would see it and know that I loved them. So for a good year, that thing hung. And yep. I'd walk by and I'd be like, oh, that's kind of neat. And you'd be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so finally I told you. But it, would, it, went, it totally went over your head. Yeah, I totally missed it. I was I, too busy wondering who the heck gave me this. <laughs> anyway... Uh, so, it is true, though, that uh, you can trace the dominant issues or themes of, of a time or a culture through its art. Uh, and so, the, the art of European society in the, in the Middle Ages predominantly depicted the reality of death. Uh, it simply dominated the times. And so, the focus of the art was to depict not only the imminence of death, but also how to deal with it. Um, and it would do this through wood cuttings, sculptures, paintings, so on and so forth. Um, there, there's a theme in the art of dying called the dance of death. Um, death there is pictured as a skeleton. It's leading its victims toward their inevitable end. Uh, and so these uh, doomed wretches, as they're called, were hierarchically arranged in an ordered procession following the skeleton. Um, and at the head of the parade were the rulers and the chief leaders. Uh, next in line comes um, wealthy merchants, uh, followed by fat monks. <laughs> um, and then at the very end were all the peasants, the poverty-stricken people. Uh, and it's interesting that the point of, uh, of all of that um, is that all of them, from the greatest to the least, were in that same line, each having the exact same end. Um, and often in the corner of these paintings was an hourglass that indicated that time was running down. And so it was just, again, a reminder of the imminence of, of death. Uh, very bleak, very dreary, fear-ridden, inescapable, morbid, whatever adjective you want to use. That's what was going on in the minds of the people at that time. Oh, I'm looking at some images of it. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Is it my turn? You're up. Shoot. <laughs> this is well-oiled, huh? I, now I just lost the whole thing. Uh, why don't you hum a bar while I find myself? All right, there we are. All right. So, the Bible, though, <laughs> paints a very different picture. Um, the biblical theology of dying. First, we need to avoid the extreme of downplaying the tragedy, horror, and evil of death. 
Uh, there are some very sincere Christians who regard weeping and showing emotions as a lack of faith. For example, some may say, after all, the dead person, presumably Christian, a Christian, is in a better place. So why are we, why are we not celebrating? Um, well, there's something to be commended in such an attitude. Uh, the faith of any Christian should allow them to face death with that confident hope. However, genuine grief over the loss of a loved one is not tantamount to weak faith or loss of faith. Rather, it's right, and I, I would even say necessary, to mourn and grieve uh, such a loss. Um, in fact, the Bible even says so. Um, mm -hmm. We do not grieve as those who do not have hope, Paul says in First Thessalonians. Um, but that implies you grieve. You're grieving, yeah. but it's a hopeful one yeah, because right. if, if the person who died is in Christ. Uh, but you, as a Christian, you can also grieve deeply without hope um, for the lost one who died outside of Christ. Um, it's, it's hard. I, I, I don't think people appreciate that, you know, a, a man or woman who's prayed diligently for the rest of their family members and they watch them one by one go into a Christless eternity, it's heartbreaking. Um, so anyhow, yes, it, it is proper to grieve that loss. Any person who's contributed to your life but has died has been permanently taken away in this life, and that void will never be filled again. While you still have friends and family, you will never again have that friend or family member. And as a result... It is right and proper to grieve. Uh, I, I'll give you a quick story on that one that yeah. struck me. Um, I can't remember his last name. His, his first name was George. And he worked at Grace Community Church part-time, and all he did was file, um, I don't even remember, the lessons as they were completed from the Fundamentals of Faith class. He would put them in a filing cabinet and stuff. It was basically just busy work. And... Um, he was a he. He really was a difficult man to be around. And I one day he was uh, coming. He had an operation. His wife was gone. She had died, and he had an operation. And I volunteered to take him back once he was released from the hospital. So I drove there, got him. He was very enfeebled. He was like eighty. I take him to his apartment, and I help him up the stairs, unlock the door, and I walk in for the very first time to his place he lived. And he had lived there for like 40 years. And in the middle of the room was a grand piano. And uh, as I'm walking him in, I said, um, do you play the piano? He said, and he got, he got angry. And he's like, no. And I said, I'm sorry. I said, I, I, I was just wondering. And he said, my wife did. She was a concert pianist. And I said, oh. And he said she would play it every day. And every day when I came home from work, I would hear as I was coming up the stairs her playing. And I knew I was home. I'm going to get choked up. <laughs> and and it, But it really struck me. And, and uh, for the first time, I understood why he was the way he was. He, I, I asked him how long he'd been married. 60 years. Hmm. 60 years he's been hearing that piano music every single day, and it was gone, and, uh, and he was alone. And it, it just, you know, there was that void that never went away. I'm like, well, I got nothing to say here. I should just shut up and try to show him kindness. But, yeah, it, it really made an impact. Yeah. So we would say that's not weak faith. Right. Uh, rather, being strong in faith, you can lament 
um, that actually is quite biblical. Yes. Uh, then second, we would, we would say that we also need to avoid the extreme of contemplating death with eagerness or anticipation. This is just the other end of the spectrum. Uh, now, it is true that death is gain, Philippians 121. Uh, it is a departure um, that leads to being present with the Lord, as Paul says. Some will use that as a reason to long for death. Um, however, it is not death that we long for. Um, biblically, death is not the way it was supposed to be. It's, it's unnatural. Rather, it's, it's what is on the other side of death that we hope and long for. Uh, That's a good point. Death is, is, is our enemy. We don't long for our enemy. Uh, we should not eagerly hope for death. Um, rather, we should remain eager, and this is, I guess, the point, to remain faithful in this life. Uh, it's good that we're here because God has not yet determined to take us. Um, so it would not be good for us to be gone yet. Um, in fact, that is Paul's very perspective. Uh, I'll just read it, Philippians 1, 21 through 24. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Um, yet to remain on in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Um, so there was a priority for him to be here. Um, so as a result, a proper perspective is to just remain faithful because it's God's... Um, will that we're here. It is good that we're still here. It's also worth noting that Paul wrote those words not while he's on vacation in Greece overlooking the ocean, you know, mm -hmm. with some fine food. He's, he's in prison. This is his first imprisonment. There's a lot of unknowns. Um, and so there is that possibility of death, right? And so he's contemplating death and saying, you know, <laughs> yes. As I think about it, if they kill me, it's not bad because I'm finally with Christ. But that, that's where that burden is. He's like, pastorally, it's better for me to remain for your sake. Just something to keep yeah. in mind, too. Yeah. Uh, so, so God has purpose in keeping us here, right? Um, right. Uh, however, we remain most faithful and fruitful by maintaining that proper hope in what is to come. Um, it's just that, that middle part, namely death, that we don't want. Um, so therefore, we contemplate death, but not only for the purpose of what death, uh, or but only for the purpose of what death means for us on the other side of that death. Which then brings the third point: that death is the gateway. I like that um, a gateway between our current existence and our eternal existence. So for the believer, that eternal existence is an eternal blessedness in the presence of Christ. For the unbeliever, that eternal existence is one of misery, torment, away from the blessedness of Jesus Christ, which gets back into last podcast about the nature of separation, right? Um, so it's a separation from eternal blessedness and eternal life in a sense. Um, so Paul says in 2 Timothy 4, 6, I am, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure that's the key word, has come. So Paul labels his death as a departure. Uh, Peter uses the same expression in 2 Peter 1.15. Uh, it's a separation from this temporary existence. Um, here you can see the, uh, the nature of life. If death is defined as separation, then life is defined as the bringing together or unification of what belongs properly together. Mm -hmm. um, in the case of the believer, 
there is an eternal unification between them and their Lord. And so in the purest sense of the term, this, therefore, uh, is eternal life. Eternal life is not merely living forever. Uh, rather, it's being eternally united or brought together with Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, fourth of all, this gateway of death is the result of sin. Uh, it is not part and parcel of the created human order. Uh, so we should never become comfortable with it. Uh, there's something broken when a person becomes overly infatuated with the reality of death. Yeah, death is unnatural. Yeah. Um, By the way, can I throw out a little thing? I, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Um, who was it that proposed it? It was one of my professors at the Master Seminary, um, and he, he pointed out that he found it interesting. Now, the Master Seminary, like us, are premillennial, um, and so they see a, a thousand-year reign kind of thing, and then it goes into uh, eternity. But he was uh, talking about the nature of if, if – this is all guesswork, right? Uh, but if – People before the fall, if the fall never happened, would they just have lived forever? And he's like, of course, it was all part of God's plan for the fall to occur. But he, he, he said that he noted that it was very interesting that uh, prior to the flood, the longest you could live was somewhere into your 900s. And he says that he, he often wondered if the optimum lifespan would have been a thousand, if, if, the human population just didn't die. And he said, and then he's like, not that you would die, but that there would be almost like a translation or into a different existence. But it wouldn't be through death. It wouldn't be through that horror of death and the, the evil of what death is. And, and he's like, I don't know. But he's like, I just find it interesting. He had He gave a lot more information. But I'm like, now, see, that's not something I had ever thought about. But anyhow, I don't even think it necessary is helpful to this, but I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Bring us back. Bring us back. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's not natural. That's the point. The um, and yeah, there, there's something broken in a person when they do become infatuated with, with death and overly curious about it. Um, it it's our enemy. Uh so, so this is why we say death is abnormal. Biblically, Adam and Eve were not created to die. Um, they were threatened with death if they disobeyed, Genesis 2-7, but they were not created for death. I th also would argue that that's why it, so much of your medical um, technology and advancement came wherever the church and the gospel was taught and preached. Um, within like the Hindu culture, it's, it's all part of just the circle of life and you're being reincarnated and hopefully ascending into the great nothingness, stuff like that. Um, but, but it's in the Christian society that people begin to understand that this is our enemy. And so out of that, then we can fight it. We can battle it. Yeah. Yep. I, I'd agree with that. Um, so let me say kind of a weird statement. Um, Death, therefore, is an unnatural consequence because it's the natural consequence of an unnatural thing, which yeah, that's is sin. Good. Say that one more time. Just read the whole thing because that's yeah. really good. Uh, death is an unnatural consequence because it is the natural consequence of an unnatural act, which is sin. Um, 
sin, again, is not the way that it's supposed to be. Therefore, its consequence is not the way that it's supposed to be. All right. Fifth, then, how should Christians view their own death? Well, first, they should view it with joy and not with fear. Again, it's important to make a distinction between grief and fear. We can grieve death, but we should not fear it. Uh, To die is really better than to live in this life. It is gain. So again, what Paul writes, for me to live, or for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. But I am hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart with Christ, for that is very much better. Um, Or Hebrews 2 15, since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise took or partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Now, so in that one, the language of deliverance or separation is used again, but this time it means separation from the fear of death. Another way of saying it is that we die to the fear of death. We are separated from the fear it brings to one who has no hope. So how should you view your death as a Christian? You don't long for it, but you don't fear it because we, we have hope and confidence in what awaits you. Um, you. You are no longer a slave to the fear that the inevitability of death rightly creates in people. Uh, Sixth of all, Christians view the death of other Christians with sadness and express sorrow, but such grief is calmed by the knowledge that they're now with Christ in heaven. Um, There is pain, but the sting has been removed. Uh, So 1 Corinthians 15, 55 through 57, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we weep. Because that person, uh, who again is irreplaceable, is gone. Uh, But the weeping is mixed with joy because we'll see him again. Which then, you know, and I'm not even going to ask you for an answer. It's just the challenge pastorally of how how do you help people um, break out of the fixation that so-and-so has died, you know? There's that t- natural time of grieving, right? Um, I, th- I found that, yeah, there's just a period of time to mourn and to grieve. Uh, but then there's, I think, an unhealthy fixation on that where there's this constant reminder and dwelling and 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 it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't let you realize, you know what, they are, even when you maybe give lip service, well, uh, he's at home with the Lord, uh, but but it's really you've turned that death into actually a self-centered thing. I don't have the want the object I want anymore, um, and I want everyone to know it. I'm not going to let anyone forget it. And so five, ten years later, you're still hearing it. And I think, like my friend George, he it it, it made him a bitter man. Uh, he couldn't get over. I I understood he missed his wife, but but it it literally froze him from the moment she died. He 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 fought bitterness because God took his wife, and um, he couldn't find solace that she was with Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was no solace to be found, and so he froze. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not asking for an answer. I'm just 
pastorally over the years, I've I faced that over and over again of, you know, it's you need to keep moving. You need to live, not fixate on that. So anyhow, yeah. se- seventh, Christians view the death of non-believers with great sorrow that is not intermixed with joy. So this is the difference, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So now we're dealing with the non-believer and how a Christian views it. Few things are more joyful for a pastor than to do a funeral of a believer. That's strange, but true. Uh, I just did two, um, right? You just did uh, one or two, right? Yeah. Um, few things are more sorrowful than to do the funeral of an unbeliever. Uh, have you done one yet where everybody is an unbeliever? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those are miserable. Yep. Uh, just miserable. Uh, but we still might have hope in some cases because we hope that their impending death prompts serious reflection leading to repentance. Uh, we do also say as a word of caution, we should strongly avoid giving false assurance of salvation in difficult times. We, we need to be fully conscious of ourselves and what we should say in certain situations. What do you say? Yeah, yeah I, I remember uh, looking at a uh, weeping mother whose son had died, uh, overdosed on heroin. Um, and she kept repeating to me uh, in my office that her son was in heaven. Her, my son's in heaven, my son's With in heaven. no basis for that hope. At, none at all. Um, and, and she herself wasn't, isn't a believer. Um, but she wanted uh, me to assure her that that was the case by just simply affirming her words. Um, I, I could tell she kept saying it because she wants me, pastor, to, you agree with this, you know this, right? Because somehow if you say it, it has to be true. Um, and I, I told her I couldn't. Um, Good for you. I didn't know that. Yeah. Good for um, you. Even, even in death, we must speak truth. And we should not seek to use lies or at the very most unknowns uh, as a source of temporary comfort. Um, in, in the long term, it will only harm. Uh, instead, so what I did in that situation is uh, I just took the opportunity. I didn't preach at her, but I, I took the opportunity to in some way weave in the gospel to both her and her husband. And it was actually interesting how much she would listen, how much both of them listened. Um, they, they needed comfort, but the but the sad reality of an unbeliever dying is there is no comfort to give. Yeah, they're not in a better place. They're not at rest. You've got you've got nothing. Nothing. Yeah. They went to something much worse. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, I've actually gotten to a point, like I had that one of that uh, Brian, and I had mostly believers there, but I had unbelievers there too. And I was able to talk of the great hope of the resurrection and the reuniting of ourselves with Brian in the end when Christ returns and calls us home, right? Uh, that we will see him again, that we will be with him and our Lord forever from that day forward without sin, without death, without... But then I, re, I got people there who are not in Christ, and I said, that's not true. For, I, I, I just thought, there's no nice way to say this. <laughs> so I just said right there at the funeral home, it's like, but it's not true for you. Mm-hmm. If you have not placed your faith in Christ alone, then you have nothing to look forward to. You will not see Brian again, and you will not have that wonderful reunion. The only thing you face is the certain eternal wrath of God upon you. I urge you, I urge you (laughs) to be like Brian. Yeah, and and then in those situations where the one who's died is an unbeliever, everyone there is an unbeliever, close friends and family are unbelievers, 
it is hard because there's no, and I'm, and I, re, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, I refuse to, to say false things yep. in those moments just to give them a sense of superficial comfort. And so the best thing you can do in those moments is give them a hug and yep. say, God is good. And, and I'm sorry. Yep. <laughs> yep. I even, do, when I do committal services, um, which are, you know, very brief at the grave site, it's, I will usually give something speaking of the resurrection uh, out of the scripture and assure the people who are in Christ that we await that day when the Lord resurrects. But when I have a, a, a completely unbelieving crowd there and an unbelieving body um, person that's now in the grave, I, I, I simply say, uh, dust to dust, earth to earth, dust to dust, ash to ashes. Uh, and we wait until the day of the great resurrection in which the judgment of God will be upon all who do not believe. And so it's like, amen. <laughs> and I'm like, that's, that's the best it gets, guys. Who um, hired him? <laughs> yeah. Well, and I've had, I've had dirty looks. Uh, yeah, you know what it's like. Uh, let us then also hasten to add this, that as long as there is breath in the lungs and waves going on in the brain, there is hope. Amen. So be very careful what you say around a person in a coma or a vegetative state. Uh, there have been people who have come out of 20-year comas who've heard every single word. Boy, if you're not moving or anything else, you probably dwell on those words all the time too because yep. that's your world. So until a person is fully gone, you never cease preaching the gospel and the need for repentance to them by their bedside. You tell them they're dying. You tell them now is the hour of repentance. You call them to faith, have faith and hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. You tell them to cast their sins upon him because this is still the hour of grace. And if you do that, there is still much reason to hope. They may never come out of the coma, but we must make certain that we're faithful to preach and pray. Yeah, and if I could just add right there, um, a lot of people like to get in debates about end-of-life issues. And because with the advent of uh, medical technologies, I mean, we can just keep prolonging things. Right. At some point, it's like it's just a time for a person to die. Um, what I would say is some people will look to the advancement of medical technologies more than they should as a, as a as a kind of hope of this person's going to be healed they're going to come out of this whatever i would argue that i think those things are a means of grace especially when you're dealing with an unbeliever because it's going to keep the flow of liquids for lack of a better yeah. phrase going so that you can do this very thing you can go to their bedside and you just keep preaching to them yeah because you don't know if they're hearing and but as long as there's brain waves and there's breath and there's blood, uh, I would I think that there's there is hope. Yeah, I argue a lot with the brain wave thing. As long I mean, as if they need to keep their lungs going and they're not in Christ, but there's clear brain activity. Yeah, we don't know. Um, in fact, that was a real struggle because my parents, when they died, they died in the Lord and. Um, we didn't take any heroic efforts. They didn't want. They they were very old, and they just wanted to be with their Lord. Um, but mm -hmm. other people have unbelieving family, and they're at that point. And and I understand when they say no. I want us to do everything possible. If they go away, they go away. But for that very reason, it's hard. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that's enough. Um, not the most pleasant topic, but a good and necessary one. Uh, so this was physical death. The next time we'll continue on with death, and the plan is to discuss spiritual death and eternal death. And with that, 
uh, will also be the issue of the intermediate state. But until then, make sure to tune in, join the conversation. We'd love to hear your thoughts on eschatology and death. Don't forget to like, share, comment, rate, review on iTunes. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And tell a friend.